0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Amanda, and I'm so glad to be with you today and open the Word of God with you this morning. As you can see, we are here at our home doing things a little bit differently today because, as some of you may have heard, either through our email or our brand new texting platform, shout out to Justin Marty, um, you heard that one of us may have been exposed to COVID-19, and truly we are have no idea our circle has been super small but I did spike a fever on Monday evening and have been battling that all week and the muscle soreness and you know all all the things that come with having a fever. So we're pretty sure everything's good but we're being extra cautious and we appreciate your understanding. I personally just covet your prayers. It's been a roller coaster of a week and I'm just Grateful today to be sitting upright and uh, just to be with you and to look at God's Word with you and be refreshed by Him alongside of you. So before we jump in, uh, would you mind praying with me? Heavenly and gracious God, we need you so much. I need you so much. And God, as we come to your Word this morning, we just come humbly. Father, we pray that you would just clear our minds from whatever we are bringing in today from our week. God, would you help us to focus on you? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you convict us and encourage us, transform and renew us during this time? God, whatever it is that we need, Lord, would you do it in us today? And I pray for myself, God, that I would communicate clearly what you have for me, and for everyone gathered around their computers this morning. We love you, and we thank you for this time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, you know that we are in the third week of our summer series. It's called Who You Say That I Am. And actually, I meant to mention this before I prayed, and I forgot But because we're recording at home and things have kind of just been unpredictable this week, we do not have a PowerPoint for you. So we're going to go old school. And I'm going to ask you to grab a Bible or your phone. And there's really two main um, passages that we're going to be looking at today. The first one is in John 10. John chapter 10 verses 11 through 14, if you wanna put a bookmark there. And then the other place you can go and and stick a a piece of paper or just hold a spot is in Ezekiel chapter 34. That might be a little bit harder to find. It's uh, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. And if you're looking in the Old Testament, it's kind of in the the back third-ish of the Old Testament. So I encourage you to do that so that you can follow along and I apologize. And once again, just thank you for understanding that things are a little bit different this week. But we are um, looking at who you say that I am. And we started this series by reflecting on a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples when he was speaking with them and he was asking them, who who are people saying that I am? And then he turns it to them, to his friends, to his disciples, to those who knew him best, who are with him day after day. And he says, but what about... What about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter boldly responds, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus affirms his statement and he goes so far as to say, actually, you're right, Peter. And what's really special about what you just said is that the Father is the one who revealed that to you, not man. In other words, you didn't read it somewhere, you didn't study it in some kind of theology class. I'm asking you who you say that I am, and you are speaking truth that was given to you by the Father. And I I love that, and, and I've really, since I first understood that passage, I thought, that is so exciting. That we, obviously, within the the confines of Scripture, we can't just go saying whatever we want, but... but the Father and, and we now say the Holy Spirit speaks to us and convicts us and prompts us. And sometimes it's something so personal, it's literally just for us. And I think that that is so special because our God is a God about relationship and he loves us all uniquely and individually. And so there's this moment here and, you know, I just can't help but think that who we say that Jesus is, is really, truly one of the most important things about us. And and it's a part of really spiritual maturity to wonder if Jesus was right in front of us right now, right in front of me, right in front of you. You know, forget whoever's sitting next to you on the couch or around the table, or if there's a kid climbing on your lap. Like, if you were just sitting in front of Jesus and he looked you in the eye and he said, Who do you say that I am? Who am I? What would your response be? How is Jesus showing up in your life today? Because I think our answer to this question is one of the most important things about us. And so in response to this narrative, we've decided to go through the I am statements of Jesus in the gospel. And last week we looked at, I am the light of the world. This week, we're gonna look at I Am the Good Shepherd. And it is actually a remarkable little passage that draws on one of the most popular images in all of scripture, which is is shepherd imagery. Now, I don't know if it's just because I recently went to Israel, but it's so interesting going back and rereading passages that I've read before and, and heard maybe even several times before, and to just almost see them in, I don't know, a new light doesn't even seem to explain what I see, but it's, it's like you kind of have let your imagination build a picture, an image of what might be happening in certain stories and then having been there, I've heard some people say it's, it like gives color, it gives more color and maybe that's a piece of it, but like for instance here in the story of, of The Good Shepherd, I just, I picture the landscape that we drove through and that we walked through. And even some of the shepherds that I saw as we went along the road, you know, just going over the hills with with massive amounts of sheep. And I just, it's just different. Before that I had sort of this, I don't know, floaty, soft, sensitive picture in my head of like this man who's very clean and he, you know, had his robe on and his staff and the sheep were just all very peaceful around him. And maybe there was like a sunset or a a little river, I don't know, maybe even almost cartoonish. And I think sometimes, uh, I hope I'm not the only one that has perhaps pictured that kind of an image when you think of a shepherd or you think of the story of the good shepherd or any of the other stories that are in uh, the Bible. But actually, being a shepherd was not a glamorous, leisurely type of job. It was actually a very difficult job. Shepherds were extremely hard workers and they were also very competent people. They had a lot to think about when they were moving the sheep from one place to another. They had to protect them from things like the terrain. they were very rocky places where sheep could get hurt, there were hills, there were, again, having been there, there would be like a precipice that could just maybe come out of nowhere that a sheep could wander and fall off of. So they're dealing with that. They're also dealing with finding fresh water for the sheep, which isn't always easy in the desert. So they're navigating that. There's also predators that are looking around at every given moment. And so there's a lot of cylinders firing when you're a shepherd and your goal is to protect the sheep and get them safely from one place to the other and also in uh, you know just in the ancient near east shepherding would have been a part of the culture you know whether your family had a huge flock or whether you just had a few at your home it was it was very common knowledge so People knew this in that day. They knew how hard shepherds worked. It was a big part of their culture. And for the Jewish people, as I said, the imagery of shepherding was all over their scriptures. Abraham was a shepherd. Moses, Jacob and his 12 sons, where David came from. Um, Who else? Oh, Amos and Ezekiel, who we're going to hear from today. Those are both prophets who were shepherds. And then, of course, the Lord himself was seen as like the best shepherd. When you think about Psalm 23 and it says, the Lord is my shepherd, written by King David. The Lord is my shepherd. Actually, it can be translated because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I lack nothing. So with all these things in mind, we come to our passage today and Jesus is speaking to people who would have understood shepherding and who would have understood the narratives all throughout their history. And so let me read to you today from John chapter 10, starting in verse 11 through 14. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Amen. So I thought I'd do today is just look at each of the characters that are in this short narrative. So starting with the sheep, because they're sort of the most simple uh, character. The sheep are basically uh, in need of protection and guidance and leadership to get from one place to another, to receive their nourishment and to be brought back home. That's the, it's very basic. And so you might even think of an analogy of God's people like, We need protection, and we need guidance, and we need nourishment, and uh, we need somebody sometimes to help lead us from one place to the other. And I'm not gonna go into, I know there's a lot of different things we can say about sheep, like from what I understand, they're not very smart, I don't know. Uh, But one thing I did read that was interesting was that when a sheep gets, uh, I'm sorry, gets separated from the flock, they can become so fearful and so anxious. They'll look for like a rock or a bush to hide under and they'll bleat out hoping that their shepherd will find them before anything else does. And often when the shepherd finds them, they're so traumatized, they can't even walk, much less stand. And so then you get the imagery of the shepherd carrying the sheep back to safety. So the sheep are in need of a shepherd. Now, the second character is the wolf, the predator the thing that is threatening the very safety of the sheep. Now, I have to admit, I've never seen a wolf like out in nature. But interestingly, I was just talking with Lloyd and Sarah Carter, and they were sharing the story about one time when they were camping, and it was the end of the season, so they were the only ones around. And they were sitting uh, by the fire facing each other, and Lloyd looked right over Sarah's shoulder, and he could see the eyes of a wolf coming in to the campground. And then slowly but surely they could hear other rustling, like there was probably a pack. And Sarah said, whoa, we have never packed up our campsite as fast as we did that night. It was like throw it in the car and get out of there because they were not safe. And so wolves represent this idea that that. When left out in the open, they will prey on the most vulnerable. And actually, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which we just studied, talks about be aware of false teaching and false prophets and people who are saying something that is, is opposed to what I'm trying to tell you because they are like wolves in sheep's clothing, they cannot be trusted. They're not proclaiming truth. So beware of the wolves. The third is the hired hand. Now here's what you need to know about the hired hand. There were some families who had large flocks of sheep, but for the most part, when you're living in a community in a village, families would own, they would have a trade, and they would maybe own one or a few sheep, even if it was just to use the wool to make winter clothing, but they wouldn't necessarily have a whole lot of sheep. Their sheep would just be theirs, and it would live you know, in the front or the back of their house. So for them to have somebody in their family shepherd just this one or a few sheep didn't make any sense. So families would get together, and they would hire a shepherd to come by in the morning and to get their sheep, and then to go to the next house and get the sheep. And then the hired hand would take this flock of sheep out into the pasture to water, to eat, and then he would bring them back safely at the end of the day. But he's just a hired hand. So he doesn't own the sheep. He doesn't have any investment in the sheep. He's just in it for the money. And so when the wolf comes, guess what? The hired hand is out of there. He's gone. He's not gonna risk his own life for somebody else's sheep. Okay, I wanna to read to you from Ezekiel 34, as promised, because the imagery that this prophet uses in um, in this book, in Ezekiel, um, really draws on shepherd imagery, and so what he's doing is he's speaking to the community of God's people and specifically to self-serving leaders that were in charge of God's people while they were in exile. And uh, the message is given by Ezekiel, but it's from the Lord. And so this was, it says in Ezekiel 34, you look at chapter two, the very end of, I'm sorry, chapter 34, the very end of verse two through verse six. This is what Ezekiel says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. The shepherds or the leaders in this community were reaping the benefits of being a shepherd, but they were not actually caring for the sheep or for God's people the way that they should have been. So now back to our story for today. The fourth character is, yes, the good shepherd. Jesus, in stark contrast to the hired hand or to what we see here in Ezekiel, would do absolutely anything to keep his sheep safe. When he sees the predators surrounding the flock, He does not run away. In fact, he's willing to lay down his life for the sheep. And here we find the very heart of the gospel. Jesus sees that the sheep need a leader. They need somebody they can trust to protect them. The world is a dangerous place with a difficult terrain and many challenges. But Jesus makes a way by showing up as the good shepherd. He's saying that this is how my leadership is gonna show up in your life and in the world. This is what it's gonna look like. In contrast to the worldly leaders who govern, asserting their power through control and oppression, Jesus says, I have come to serve and protect the most vulnerable. I'm not here to extract wealth from you. I'm here to lay down my life you. I am not sitting in a tower of comfort waiting for you to come to me. I go out to you and I search for you and I protect you. It's a completely different kind of impulse, one that Herod and other leaders at the time would have seen as a direct threat to their leadership. So Jesus says he lays down his life for the sheep, but he says this other thing in verse 14. He says, I know the sheep and the sheep know me. His connection to the sheep is deeply personal. Now, there are several words actually in Greek that can be translated to know. Some of them like oida are more connected to seeing. So, you know, it it might say, well, I saw this happen so that I know that it did, oida. There's a few other words that tend to emphasize the intellectual piece of knowing, like, I studied this thing, so I know it to be true. But the word used here is gnosko, and it actually emphasizes a deep knowing with the heart. It indicates a relationship with the person knowing and the thing known. I will say that again. Gnosko indicates a relationship with the person knowing and the object known. The good shepherd is different because of his heart for his sheep. He doesn't just know about them. He knows them from the inside out. He sees them. He loves him. Have you ever had a moment where somebody just reached into your life and you felt so known and so seen. I've had several of those moments. I've actually had a couple recently, but one I will share with you and I'm just going to just lay it out on the table, but I'll tell you, you know, in the midst of, of everything that's been happening, there's been a lot of meetings and a lot of conversations with all sorts of different kinds of leaders and pastors and colleagues and just, just lots of different levels of conversation, and there's one particular group that we met with a few times that um, I will say did not necessarily welcome a woman in a lead role as a pastor, and they didn't say that, but, you know, there's just comments and things that happen that you just, you know, you just kind of go with, and I'm at a point in my life where I know, like, God is a a big God and my, my call is from the throne room of heaven and I don't, I don't lose sleep necessarily about these things anymore and I, I really hadn't even thought about it outside of just kind of joking with Greg about a few little comments that were made. Uh, but after a few meetings, I had one of the people who was present there send me a text and say, hey, it's just been on my mind. To just, just shoot you a message and let you know, I'm so sorry that those comments still happen today. I'm so sorry that, you know, you just get kind of overlooked and pushed to the side. That's not how I feel. And I know that's not how everybody in that group feels. And, you know, even though it wasn't really gnawing at me, for him to say that was like, thank you. I just, I feel acknowledged. I feel seen, I feel known, I feel accepted for who I am. And it actually ended up meaning so much. And so when we're able to do that for each other, how much more when we realize that the Lord knows us and sees us and loves us and accepts us for exactly who we are. This is the kind of knowing that we see between the good shepherd and his sheep. And it's a beautiful, powerful kind of knowing. I'm going to read to you again from Ezekiel. We've already looked at the woe to those who were not shepherding the flock the way that God intended. They weren't doing it fairly. They were taking advantage of the vulnerable. Well, this is what the Lord says later in chapter 34, verses 11 through 16. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture. And the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. Hear this, I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is the kind of shepherd Jesus is. He leads his flock to good pastures. He protects his flock and rescues them from harm. He binds up the injured and strengthens the weak and he shepherds with justice. Justice is a big word these days and it should be because actually justice is a huge part of the biblical narrative all throughout. God is a God of justice and we see over and over and over that he is in the business of making wrong things right, of putting things back together the way they were meant to be, this is exactly what Jesus' life was all about. So when we look at our passage today, I can't help but but wonder, okay, where is it that we see God's justice? And maybe the other question is, where do we see injustice? So just at first glance, and I'm sure we could take this all sorts of ways, but when I think about injustice in our narrative from John 10, I think about the sheep. The sheep who are meant to be protected and yet they are abandoned and left vulnerable to their predators. The hired hand was put in charge. He was responsible for them. He was being compensated. It was his job. And instead of doing what is right, he becomes complicit in exposing the very ones he was meant to protect. That just doesn't feel right. And then Jesus, on the other hand, he presents this completely different model for what it means to be a shepherd. And it's not so much that you know, that it's like, well, this is, this is unjust and, and, and Jesus, you know, is, is just as, as much as it's that, you know, I'm going to see if I can explain what's going on in my heart and what, what the Holy Spirit's put in there for me to say, but it's not even about like bad and good. It's, it's that Jesus comes on a completely different level, and he comes moved by love. He actually wasn't even hired by anybody. He wasn't given the responsibility. He's not being paid. He, on his own volition, says, I am going to be the good shepherd. I'm going to protect. I'm going to um, care for the sheep because of my love for them. Nobody's telling me to do this. I'm doing it because I want to, because it's important to me. The good shepherd does not show partiality toward one sheep over another. His heart is for all sheep. He does not look to promote himself in any way. He does not give up when it gets hard. He knows his sheep, he cares for his sheep, and he does not want any one of them to perish. This is actually absolutely radical life transforming truth. That Jesus, the good shepherd, it's almost like he does two different things here. First of all, he acts in grace towards the sheep. And then out of that action, he brings kingdom justice. He acts in grace. He says, I'm gonna protect you. In fact, I am so for you. I am going to lay down my life for you. And in that laying down of his life, which we know was his journey to the cross, that is the place where we experience transformation, where we experience the depths of forgiveness and renewal and, and, and so many other ways that we can't even explain the magnitude of God's grace. And yet in that action of grace, he brings forth his justice because in the reconciling of us to him and of us to one another, in that very act. He's beginning to make wrong things right. That's what he does. That's who he is. And so we see here that the gospel story, the good news of Christ cannot be separated from gospel justice, from kingdom building, from making things right. And we get to be a part of that as believers. That might be your qu- next question is, okay, so where does that leave us? Like, like, we confess the Lordship of Christ in our life, and we're his disciples, and we are being made more and more like him, and we want to be ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, and we want to live completely differently. So what does this look like to further his mission here on earth? And I will say on a very basic level, this means protecting those who are most vulnerable. And we step out not only to do that in reaction to when we see it happening, but we do it because it's the invitation of the gospel to build God's kingdom where there is no partiality, where there's no longer a wall of hostility, where the humble are lifted up, where the oppressed are given a voice, this is the good news. And so in light of this good news that we so boldly proclaim as Christians, we have to know that we have found ourselves in a critical moment, not just as a country, not just as a community, but as the people of God, and not just as the capital C church, but, as Cornerstone Covenant Church in Turlock, California. This is a moment for us. And so how will we respond to what we see happening around us? I know that in some ways, if we're honest, the temptation can be to just become a little bit overwhelmed about how we can make a difference and just sort of let things kind of blow over until they go back to normal. But I will say to you right now from like the depths of my heart, I really hope that doesn't happen. I believe that we are being shaped, that we are being transformed. I believe we have a really powerful opportunity to be the people of God in Turlock and beyond in a really special way. And I have to admit that there are times where even I've become overwhelmed by racial injustice, by, by mar- marginalization of, of different groups of people. I mean, I've shared that with you before about immigration and refugees and even trying to bring to light some of the the challenges that are unique to families with an autism diagnosis. Um, There are a lot of ways that God has like peeled off a scab in my life over the last several years and sort of allowed me to see into the pain that somebody else might be experiencing and I've been very shaped by these moments um, and very challenged but I also think I've missed some moments And I think we've probably missed some moments as a church. And that's okay, but I wanna do better. I think we can do better, and I'm excited about that. So the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna encourage you. Um, Greg mentioned it last week. We put a video um, of lament on our website called uh, Standing in Solidarity, and it's beautiful because it, it, it's a model, but it's also an invitation and it really walks you through lamenting some of the racial injustice that we've seen around us, not just for the African American community, um, but, but other ways that we have seen it happen over um, the course of the history of our country. So I would really, really, really encourage you to go if you have not had the opportunity, use it as a quiet time or just personal reflection and watch that. And then I'm also going to add another video this week that comes from a conference called Thrive. It's put on by Bayside, and it was just sort of a um, a roundtable conversation that I found to be meaningful and useful um, as I, I process everything. And then, um, you know, as cliche as it sounds, I'm going to ask you to pray. Pick a day and come join the prayer group. We are constantly having just incredible conversations about what it means to be the people of God and... Um, to really speak out on behalf of things we see, but also trust in his goodness um, and his ability to bind up the brokenhearted and to heal the brokenness. And so it's a great place to be in community together. And as we wrap up today, I wanna say, I know that this is not gonna happen overnight. You know, it's it's gonna be a journey, it's gonna take time, but let's be on the right side of history. And let's be on the right side of the gospel. Jesus is the good shepherd. He lays down his life. He has a deep love for people. And we are, in a sense, his under-shepherds. Called to protect and to care for others as he modeled for us. Called to radical love and to gospel justice. Let me leave you with this final verse from the Apostle Peter. I'm sorry, I only told you to mark two places, but this is the last one. This is in 1 Peter chapter five, verses one through four. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never, that will never fade away. That is our hope. Would you pray with me? Ugh. Jesus, Good Shepherd, thank you for the reminder of the ways that you love us, that you know us, that you see us. Thank you that you are willing to lay down your life for us, that no one forced you to do it, but that you did it compelled by your love for your people. And Father, I thank you that as you made this pathway to forgiveness, that in it you are helping to make things right. And I pray as your people that we would know what it looks like to play whatever part you have for us in this, to come alongside and to turn things upside down, and to live completely differently so that we can also be a part of making wrong things right. So we can be a part of bringing healing to those broken places in our own lives and in the lives of others. You are so good. You do not fail us. Our hope is in you. And I'm gonna say the same thing that I said at the beginning of today. We need you, we need you, I need you. So come, Holy Spirit, come, amen.